we're going to be studying this morning on the one another's of Scripture. And really, I, I, I don't remember exactly when I first heard about or even thought about the different one another's found in Scripture, but ultimately, if you go and, and do a concordance search or whatever, there may be like 90 references, but 60 of them, of those 90, are very t- closely related to what it means to to experience life within the body. And so I, I just uh, I want you to think about that this morning as we kind of move through that together. As we get started, I want you to just pray with me. If you just bow your heads, we will pray together and then we will... Um, we will study this this morning. Father, we just come to You thanking You that You are the God who has saved us. Lord, we know that throughout Scripture we see Your marvelous grace, but there is no greater picture of Your love and mercy to us than the cross. Father, I just pray this morning we would see and savor the cross and in light of that and what's provided through Jesus Christ life, death, burial, and resurrection, that we would, we would love one another as we have been loved. We do have an example before us, and we have the power that you've given us. And so I just pray that we would live in light of the truths found here. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know how many of you grew up in a small kind of environment. When I was a little kid, we would, uh, we, I lived in White Village and, kind of, and, and grew up on, uh, actually from all the time that I could remember, on the same street, and we had a lot of friends there, and and uh, our neighbors were coming over all the time. We were riding our bikes, did all kinds of stuff. They, one time they started building this, um, this new, these new houses, and so there were like mounds of dirt and it rained. We have dirt clawed wars, you know. And we had dirt bikes, and everybody would ride them around. So we just did all this stuff as kids, you know, running around doing that. And so I was thinking about this week, even maybe years even before that. There are many people that grew up in a small little town and. And, and I've, I've had people, actually, Mike Smith's not here this morning, but he and I talked a lot about how people would sit on their front porch and everybody would walk by, and during the day they were, sometimes we think we're so busy, and, and, but they, in that day, you know, in the afternoons they would sit out and people would come by and they would be telling stories, and you get the news of the day, and the kids would be out playing, and they didn't have to wear like a full body suit to go out and ride their bike, you know, I mean, just a real different kind of environment in that way. They could actually play unorganized games. You know, you found like an empty lot. Somebody could actually go out there and you didn't have to have, you know, pay, you know, $50 for a jersey. You just went out and you went and played. And it was kind of a, you know, just a, a little bit different environment. And so I was thinking about that this week. And I was thinking about the fact that I've read some, you know, in our culture and what's going on. And, and often even us, like when Anna or I are typically her because she usually pulls in the garage. And I have so much junk in the garage, you two cars can't go in there. But anyway, she might pull in and before you even get out of the car, you shut the garage right? Because, you know, somebody may be there waiting to get you. But, but the idea is, often we have closed ourselves out. And there are people that would, even today, you know, everybody would lock their doors and all that kind of stuff. And the front porch is gone. And in the back of your house is maybe your little porch. And it's kind of closed off. And so there's this big fence that goes around it and nobody can see in. And we live in a culture that really is, there's a lot of people that are are living in a way where they are um, completely closed off to the world when they get home. And then they we even build for some men that really like sports. They have a man cave in their house, you know. And they watch this television and they sit in there and nobody can disturb them. And the whole culture is kind of moved in very individualistic, hidden life away from people. So, does the, how's the church respond? How's the church respond? Do they respond the same way as the culture? Or do they embrace like a biblical view of what the church is and all those kind of things? Well, you know what happens? 
our churches often reflect that so that your only kind of connection with people might be staring in the back of the head. And if we have a really big church with 10,000 people there every Sunday and everybody's sitting there and they're just kind of coming as a consumer, they grab a little bit and they go home completely anonymous and completely separated from people. And so I think for us, we have to stop and say, okay, hold on just a second. Where are we? How are we responding? And are we actually embracing a biblical view of the Christian life? So I hope that will kind of help you. I was thinking one last little thing. You ever go to the supermarket and you see somebody there that you hadn't seen in a long time and you're like, hey, how are you doing? And they say, oh yeah, I'm doing good. And you say, well, I'm doing great. And so everybody's smiling and then you shake hands and then right after you walk off, you put a little hand sanitizer in your deal and you wipe off in case they gave you a germ. And you kind of just, that's your interaction. It's kind of the same thing in the church. If we're not careful, hey, how are you doing? Put the hand sanitizer on, go on and make sure you're clean and your life is not scathed in any way by anybody in your whole life. Right? And so that's not really biblical Christianity. So I want you to kind of think about the culture you live in and see in light of that how we should live. So we're going to look at something and try to embrace something a little bit different and try to hopefully see what's taking place. Now, if this is not what God intended, what does He intend? What does God intend for His people? How did He design us to live? And we have to kind of ask that question. And we also have to say, if God wants genuine intimacy with others in our lives, other voices that will speak about God and share with us in living our lives, all those things, if He wants that, what hinders it? What is hindering you from having intimacy with other believers? I mean, what would be some of those things? Some would be selfishness. Some things would just be, I'm really selfish with my time. I want to live the way I want to live. I built my whole world around me. And so I don't want anybody in it. Another would be, we're just prideful. If somebody sees enough of me, they're going to see that I'm not what I portray on Sunday morning. And so pride kind of would hinder that. And another thing would be that it's, it's messy. I mean, it's messy. And I think, I think all of those things, and we, we, because sometimes you think, good night, somebody might show up when I don't want them to. Somebody might show up after I've had a hard day at work, or somebody might show up in my life and try to cause me to not be able to really experience what I want for me. So I think all those things kind of need to come to us as we're thinking about it. And I'll throw one more thing out there, just I was thinking about how um, my own Christianity often has been identified by personal quiet times in me living this life separated from people. And I was thinking about a prayer I heard one time where... Um, it, it, this is what it says. Just listen to it. It says, Dear Lord, so far today, I've done all right. I haven't gossiped, cursed, or lost my temper. I haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. I'm really glad about these things. But in a few moments, Lord, I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm probably going to need a lot more help. Thank you in Jesus' name. But I mean, I think that's kind of what it's like. It's like all those things are going on and we say, good night. I mean, there's all of this and we need to really rethink how we're living because ultimately, the more we embrace people, the more they're going to see the nasty, selfish person I am. And that's difficult for us. So just kind of think through that now. This is what we're going to look at this morning. So you kind of turn to First John. We're going to First John. We're going to look at that. But I want you to think about this. We're going to look at a couple of things this morning that got first. God demonstrated His love for us by sending His Son to die for us. As a result of that, God poured out by the new birth His love within our hearts. And as a result of all those things, He has given us power to love one another. And this is expressed, this, this love for one another is expressed 
in multiple different ways in Scripture, but it's one, good thoughts about people. We have to think right thoughts about others. We have to gather together on a regular basis and we have to serve one another. So it starts with an understanding of what God's done and then in response how I should live. So 1 John 4, 7-12. through Ready? 1 John 4, 7-12. through Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. No one has ever seen God if we love one another. God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. So we start and he says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and everyone who has been born of God and knows God has experienced that love. And I think it's an important place to start because here's the thing. The Scripture told us last week in Titus chapter 3 that we were patterned after being hateful and hating one another, but when the kindness of God showed up and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Now what did He do? What do we see in there? He saved us from hating one another to loving one another. He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. And what He's going to talk about here is you must be born of God. You must be born again. And with the new birth, as we mentioned earlier in our, in our study, I mean in our worship guide, the new birth brought new things. It brought a new heart. It brought spiritual life. So that someone who is enslaved to sin and dead in their trespasses and sin, their default is hateful and hating one another. But one who has been transformed by the Spirit of God experienced the love of Christ that's been poured out into their hearts their pattern will be to love one another. I think that's just a critical thing that you see. We are people who have been transformed by the Spirit of God so that we might love. So that instead of selfishness and hating, we would love and serve. That, that is what God has done. Now this is what the Scripture says here. Anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In the context, it's the love of the people of God. It is the love of the people of God. When God transforms a heart, the Spirit moves in a heart, the Spirit awakens a dead person to life, the natural response is a love for the people of God. It is the heart of God. God demonstrated His love for us even though while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The heart of the believer is to love the people of God. Not in word only. The Scripture tells us in 1 John, not in word only, but in deed and in truth. We are to love one another. It should be an overwhelming thing that we would have great love for the people of God. It is an evidence. We looked at that in our study guide this week. It is a test case. For in 1 John, over and over it's repeated how you respond to Jesus, what you believe about Jesus, how you love the people of God, and how you walk according to His commandments, those are test cakes for whether you're in the faith. You can tell me all day, well, I believed in Jesus. I accepted Jesus. Listen, if Jesus transforms your heart, there will be a response of love for the people of God. That's how it works. 
When the Spirit comes in, He transforms. So I just think it's important that we see that. And I just I want you to turn to First John chapter three, real quick, in verse fifteen and sixteen. And I just want you to see it says everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. What's he saying? Really, there's a real strong connection between hatred and murder in the scripture. I mean, it says it's it's really hatred of the. I mean, it's murder of the heart. You might say he's saying, look, you understand that one who does not love the people of God, they are not a part of the people of God. And I think it's just really important to see that. Now, certainly there are times when somebody's sick or homebound or they're in a you know, over across the world somewhere, and they maybe don't get to gather with believers, or, or there's a bunch of different things where they may, but their love will be for the people of God. It's just, it's just, it's the pattern of someone who has been transformed. Christianity is not a solo religion. It's just not. It is tied to a intimate love for the people of God. Now, something to think about here: What if Jesus loved the church like you love the church? What if Jesus loved the church like you love the church? What would that look like? That'd be a pretty picture. I think the reason I say this is because if you think of it just a little bit different, it, what would it look like for Christ Community Church if Jesus' love for the church looked like your love for the church? Now, there's some reality. We know this. We know that Jesus died for our sins, all those things. But if we were just to model the pattern of sacrificial love for one another as Jesus shows us, as we see in Scripture, what would that look like if you were the one leading the charge? Would it scare you? Would it make you think, I may need to change some of my thinking about what I'm doing, where I spend my time, who I focus on, who I live for? All those things I think need to be questioned. Now, turn to Colossians. We're going to go from 1 John to saying Jesus poured out His life. God demonstrated His love through Jesus laying down His life. As a result of that, we have the Spirit of God. It produces a heart of love. But you turn to Colossians. And as we go there, I just want you to see a number of attitudes that you would have towards the people of God if you really embrace God's love for His people. So, in Colossians 3, verse 12 is where we're going to go. And I just want you to see that with me. It's kind of putting on Christian virtues. And I think it's really important for you to see. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Now here's the thing. What's he saying? He's grounding that in that, 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 that God has, has loved you. God has brought you into His family. He's saying now you put on then as these people compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, Bearing with one another, and if, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, I just want you to see, put on compassionate hearts, sympathy and concern. It's this idea that you are looking out for your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you are seeing the burdens that they bear, and you want to help alleviate that you want to bear that with them that you are thinking about them in their distress that you might even 
that you might do something to help alleviate the distress that they would have. It's a compassionate heart. He's saying, look, you get your heart right towards your brother and the actions will follow. You put on these things, this compassionate heart, kindness. and It would be an idea of just extending goodness and generosity towards your brothers and sisters. Humility. What does that mean? It means that everybody in here has a multitude of opinions. Did y'all know that? I mean, good night. If you sat around and interviewed all of y'all about some subject, there would be enormous amounts of things. But what is the, the idea of humility? It is, it is really, that's how God works. He gives grace to the humble. And He says, you walk in humility towards one another. It, it's, it's, it's a forgetting about myself. It, it, the most, per, most important person, a humble person, the most important person in the world is not them or their opinion. It's others. Put on humility. It, really, the more you recognize God's forgiving grace in your life, you, you are humbly coming before others. Notice the word meekness. This does not mean somebody's weak. You meet somebody that's meek, it's not because they're weak, it's because they're the strongest person in the room. A heart of meekness is someone who has really been trained by the Word of God that they, they're not always having to get their way. They're not always telling you what should be done. They're not always pushing their way on other people. There is a meekness to them. It's not about them. It's about God and it's about others. Patience. Now, sometimes we say, well, I got the humility. I got da-da-da-da-da. But patience. Oh, good night. I don't ever have patience. At the heart of being a humble person, compassionate and kind, is patience. That's what flows out of a compassionate heart. That's what flows out of a humble heart. It's to be patient towards others. People are not going to move the way you want. Now here's the deal. If you have lived your Christian life on an island, which is really easy to do in America, is to live your Christian life on an island, and you've never been to the mainland, when you get there and you start spending time with people, guess what? Guess what? Patience is going to be an important virtue. Because when you stop living on an island by yourself, creating a Christianity that may not even exist, and you start investing time with people, patience is going to be central. It absolutely it comes at the very heart. It's being patient towards one another. Now, he says bearing with one another. As the Lord has forgiven you, the idea of like bearing with one another when they're gonna people are gonna sin. The closer you get to the church, the more you're gonna see people sin. The more they're gonna see your sin. The closer you get there, it's kind of I was thinking about this this week. Have you ever met two wonderful Christian young people and watched them get married? Married, and they were so holy before they got married. I mean, they were the picture of Christianity. And then they got married and they got really close to each other and they fight like cats and dogs. Why? Because they left the island. And guess what? Or somebody got on their island. And when they started living with them, they're like, oh my word, I mean, I, I never saw so much sin in that person. And that person said, I've never seen so much sin as I've seen in you. That's the reality of as you live life with people, they are going to sin. It's a part of the fallen world. And Learning to move beyond that and forgive people in the face of great struggle is extremely important. Okay, so we see that. I just think it's important that you note that. Are y'all getting anything out of this, or is this just like, no, let's stop? Huh? 
You want to keep going? Okay, let's keep going. I think it's important. I think we need to see these things because they're so important. Now, now listen. If you were going to be at CCC and you really gave your life to others, do you think there'd ever be anybody that get on your nerves? Do you think there would be some people that you're like, Lord, did you put these people in my life to sanctify me? Yes. Lord, why are they here? I don't understand. Well, it's just for you. I mean, that's kind of how you might feel. It's almost like there's some people in life that you think their goal in life is to be a pain in everybody else's rear. Would you agree with that? Okay, so it's, it's an important thing that we say. Now, we should call to somebody that's like that. You should say to them, look, maybe you should stop being that way. But sometimes, really, the closer we get, the more all these personalities collide and God is calling us to be different towards one another, to love one another, to have the attitudes that God has towards us where He is gracious and compassionate when I keep sinning. I was telling my friend this last week, he's a church planter, about to be. He's about to start a church and and he was struggling with a sin that just keeps plaguing him. And I, I told him, I said, man, I, I think God sometimes allows that sin to continue in your life so that you might be more compassionate towards others. Whenever I want to come and like just whip somebody's tail in this church, right? I, sometimes I sin so grievously in, in, in my own life and I think, how could I ever go and just go and ready to whip somebody's tail? I mean, how could I do that? Because in light of my own sin, I see that. And so I think it's just important to note that as we kind of move forward. Now, I want you to keep looking in, in Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 15. In verse 15 it says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I think it's just important. There is this aspect where we are to gather together to confront the fault in our lives and to encourage each other to do good things. You notice in this text, and I think it's just important, we're to meet together and see what it says. Teaching and admonishing one another. That means that we all have this responsibility to teach and admonish and encourage good things. One another. And I just think it's important to note this. Teaching is helping you grow in right living. Right? And admonishing would be confronting wrong thinking and wrong living. But look what it says in all wisdom. Have you all ever studied a lot of Bible facts? You ever sat down and said, I'm going to memorize the whole Old Testament. Every book. Genesis, Exodus, you know, you run through all those books and you get all that stuff in your head. Or maybe you've done some other things. You say, I'm going to memorize verses. I'm going to start with John 3.16 and I'm just going to keep memorizing. Or maybe you have a reading list and you're like, I'm going to read 10 books this year. And so I'm just start plowing through those books. And you get all this information in your head. That's not wisdom. That's knowledge. I think in all wisdom is, is learning to live that out. It's not just knowledge. I don't want to just create a church that could graduate from a seminary. I want a church that will walk in truth. That learns to apply that to life. That, that's what Christianity is about. It is an application of truth. It is learning to walk in that. And that really gets... Listen, when you get all the books and you read them, and then you try to put it into life, you go, good night. How am I going to do that? That's what other people do. That's what the church does. You sit down together and you get this unbelievable lofty goal from Scripture and then you say, good, now how am I going to live that out? 
I'm 25 years old. I don't understand how to live that out. Or I'm 35 and I have three kids. What am I supposed to do with that? God has placed within the body people that can help you take that truth and apply it to your life. Some of them have walked the road before. And some of them haven't. But God's put all these people with different diverse opinions, thoughts, and and, and life skills. And that's what the church does. So I think it's just important that we see that as we're moving forward. It's in all wisdom, learning to walk and live that out. Now, one more thing I want you to write down. I know you, you might put this down if you're taking notes. There are three areas that we talked about in the trellis and the vine that people need. Convictions, character, and competencies. Now, I can teach you the beliefs that you ought to believe. I can take a, a systematic theology book and teach you beliefs. I can say this is who God is. This is who Christ is. This is what, uh, who you are in light of the Gospel. And as we see that, I can explain that. But to help you get it into your life, character, applying those truths into regular life, it's more than just teaching you in a classroom. It's saying, okay, maybe you watch me in this. Or did you see me mess up today? That's not what you do. I mean, you know, maybe sometimes you get around somebody and think, well, that's not what I want to how I want to live that out. But still, it's it's learning within the context of being able to model somebody, see somebody live it out, converse about it. And I think that's what we see as we gather together. It's not just getting you knowledge in your head, but helping you live that out. It's sitting down in a coffee shop. It's having dinner with somebody. It's meeting in a community group and discussing how does this work itself out and using some skills to get that done. So I know there's a lot. I feel like I'm more in a luxury mode this morning. So just kind of get that in your mind. It'll help you kind of as we're moving forward. So I think it's important that we see that. Let's continue forward. And I think it's important that you see that when we sing together as a church in Colossians, we see in chapter three that we sing together. And there's some element where psalms, hymns and spiritual songs we could talk about that for a while, but ultimately, when the church gathers, sometimes I could sit up here, and I really remember, like in seminary, we would have this big service, it would be a 1,000 or 1,500 people, and their voices were like ringing in my ears. And so it wasn't all coming from the stage, it was like the voices behind me. And it's like, I believe those things again. This last week, I felt like I didn't really believe that Gospel message as well as I do now. Because I hear these unified voices like, proclaiming truths it it, makes my heart sore and so i think it's just important that we understand when we gather together as a as a people we're worshiping to god but we're doing it with one another so that your voices kind of are a concert but before god as we praise him but also for me because i don't i don't always think about those things and i'm reminded those as i gather together now one last little thing on this section of text there's a book by, um, I mean, a, a, a song written by um, Keith and Kristen Getty. And it's called, Don't Let Me Lose My Wonder. Don't let me lose my wonder. I, I, I can lose that. Y'all ever feel like, I get it when I'm here. And then I walk out of here enough, it's forgotten. But, but, but sometimes, as I get, really, the more I get with other believers, maybe a young believer, who the first time they heard the gospel and believed it, and their eyes are lighted up, and they're just so excited, and everything's so new, and it, it keeps me from losing my wonder. It, it keeps me to say, oh my goodness, God, You have done great things for us. When I get around somebody like that, or, or I get with somebody, and I always joke with Patty, she's a cheerleader, and, but, but sometimes I'll call her and say, Patty, why did I plant this church, or whatever? And she might grab me up and say, man, you've got to, 
keep moving forward. These are wonderful things. But the body does that. It helps me not lose my wonder. The more I give away of my life, the more I'm not stagnating as a pool that's useless, but it's like a river flowing out. And I keep wanting to be fed and I keep wanting to give. And that's what we do as a body. And some days I want to give up on the Christian faith and someone comes along and they say, are you joking? Do you see these marvelous truths and what God has done? My wife does that all the time. And she's helping me and saturating my mind with truth so I keep pressing forward. And that's what a body should do. That's what it means to love one another. We need that. We need that. It's not an island. It is a community of people. And so I just think it's important that we see that. I just one last place we're going to go is 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. And, and I, it just it's important. If you're in Colossians, again, you go towards the back of your Bible. So that's where we're in 1 Peter chapter 4. <clears throat> we started with love one another. We say part of that means we've got to gather together, and now we're going to say, okay, what does it mean to serve the body? What does it mean to serve the body of believers? Now, a few years ago, I went through a study and, uh, like at a church and they did a deal where they had like 400 jobs for their church and everybody had a job. Now, something that happens in that, I think sometimes is we can get a job that's so easy for us that it never causes us really to serve like what we see in Scripture. And so there's something to think about here as we think about serving one another. You may not have a official capacity, but just see that. I think it's important to help you. Now, notice what chapter First uh, Peter chapter 4 Verses 7 through 11. I'm just going to move down in verse 8. It says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Verse 10, as each one's received a special gift, use it in serving one another. Three, love one another. You see in this text, three one another's. Show hospitality and serve. You see those? Those three areas, he puts all those together for us to see. We're going to just kind of quickly think about that. He says love covers a multitude of sins. Why? Because the closer you get, the more... Now you got to think about in 1 Peter, these folks were dealing with some great persecution. For them to get together was costly. And as they did, they would see one another's sin. And so they had to keep forgiving. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 18. He says 70 times 7. You keep forgiving. You keep forgiving. You keep forgiving because you've been forgiven. So the closer people get, the more they might sin against one another. But we see that as we're moving ahead. The next thing we see is show hospitality. And in that text, I mean, you're thinking about what does it mean to be a hospitable person? You ever been to, um, you've been to a hotel and you just stuck that sign out and said, do not disturb? You ever done that? Just don't, do not bother me. If anybody knocks on the door, it's going to get ugly, right? So you put the sign out, do not disturb. Why do you do that? You don't want anybody to disturb you. You know what? A lot of people wear that little sign around their neck. Do not disturb. Don't disturb me. I'm too busy in my life to be disturbed by you. And what we really need is this idea of do disturb. We need a life lived with a do disturb mentality. I think that's what it means to be hospitable. Some people might say, well, that means open your home. And it might mean that. It might mean that for you, that it means for you to open your home more and say, come eat dinner with us and spend time with us. You're saying, do disturb our life. Come involve yourself in my life. It may mean that. 
It may mean that every week you think about someone you can grab lunch with within the church and you're saying, even though I'm crazy busy in my life, it's important that I show hospitality to one another because God's been hospitable to me. God has allowed me into His family. God has drawn me in. And because God has shown such hospitality to me in light of that, I'm going to respond and show that to others. A hospitable life is a do-disturb-me life. What if it messes up your plans? What if your house got dirty? What if you were going along and one day you missed a business deal to love somebody? What if, what if all these things took place? What if you weren't able to play your favorite little thing one weekend? What if you missed a video game time? So that you could say, do disturb me. Do disturb my life. I want to serve the body of Christ. I want to live a do disturb life. Not too long ago, I was talking to somebody in this church and I was saying, man, I know you keep giving. I know you keep serving. They said, man, the time is near. And that's what he says in 1 Peter. They said, I don't know how much more time we have. Why don't we live a life to the glory of God now? You don't know if you have another day. You don't know if you have another week or year, whatever it may be. You're called upon and God is calling us to show hospitality without grumbling. Now that stinks. Why does that have to be added? Without grumbling? I love to gripe about serving people. Y'all? No, y'all don't do that. Okay. But anyway, without, without grumbling, without saying, good night, why did they call me today? Of all days, somebody messing with me, messing with my life. i got to serve them today? He's saying have the heart that wants to share with others and encourage one another. So you see this? Love one another. How we do it? We gather together. Even as we sin with one another, we continue to love and cherish each other. We sing songs to one another. We encourage each other in the Lord. And then we're to serve one another. How does that look? It means you keep forgiving people when those punks keep messing with you and making you mad and doing all this stuff against you. And then you show hospitality. It means, oh, I do, dis- do disturb me. Be involved in my life. Look at our life. Be a, be a part of what we're doing. We want to serve you. The last thing you're going to see is serve one another. Now, I just think it's important that you, as we're moving through this list and you're thinking about it, this is what it says. Some people are talkers. And some people are doers. No, kind of. But what, what does it say? Some people are going to have a ministry to the body There's going to be more speaking. And some people more of a serving kind of gift. All those people are to be involved. What does it say in 1 Peter 4? Is each one's received a special gift? Employ it. Now, how many people in here have, have a trophy? Anybody in here have a trophy? I used to have them and I tossed them. But anyway, but there comes a point where maybe you don't want them anymore, but, but maybe you do. And so you set up a big deal and you have all these trophies. Some people have a whole wall filled with trophies, right? Those trophies are kind of a sign of what they did in the past. Spiritual gifts are to be employed. They're not trophies. I don't care what you've read, what you've done in the church, where you've been, what, you, what mission trips you've been on, what you've done in this time, how many years you taught Sunday school as an older person, whatever it might be. You could have a long list of trophies. The Christian life is not for, for people to put stuff on a wall and say, look what I've accomplished. It doesn't matter. It's, 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 a, it's a life lived now. It is employing your spiritual gift now. It is walking in obedience to whatever God's called you to now. Each one's received a special gift. Employ it. 
It means it should be a part of your daily activity to use the gifts God has given you, not to waste them and not to dust them off because you have them on your wall and they look really nice. That's not the Christian life. It is serving one another right now. Certain people have different gifts within a body so that the body can grow up and God can be glorified. I don't know where you are in this situation or where you fit, but the reality is if you are a Christian, the Spirit of God it has worked in you in such a way that you are to serve this body. And it's more than having a little job. It's a lifestyle of serving. It is a lifestyle of giving. It is a lifestyle of laying it all down in service to the body. You think you love the church? I think, I think often I think I do and then I get serious about looking at what the Scripture says and I wonder, Lord, do I have a great love for You? Lord, stir up a love for for you. How do I do that? I look at the cross. I go back to the cross. I go back to the Gospel. And I say, what did Jesus do? He left heaven and came to earth. He gave His life. He served us in the greatest of ways. He became the, 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 the least of the servants. And not only that, He died on the cross for His people. God demonstrated His love for me by sending His only begotten Son so that I could be saved so that I could have life. It's driving me. We are to love one another in the way that we were loved. We are to love one another because when God bursts in within us and brings us to spiritual life, we are to love one another. It's to flow out of our hearts. We're to keep forgiving one another. We are to, to sing to one another. We are to encourage one another in wisdom. We are to do all those things. We are to live a life of servanthood that says, do disturb me. Do disturb my life. Are we doing that? At Christ Community Church, are we doing that? Are you doing that as a family? If you're a man here leading your family, are you leading your family to this kind of relationship with the body of Christ? You are to guide that as, as, a, as a man of God to lead your family to serve. To lead your family to give. To leave your, lead your family to gather together with other believers. To lead them to say, look, we are not going to live on an island, but we're going to live within this church body and we're going to serve it. Are you doing that? I just encourage you this morning that we would grasp this. It is so powerful and so amazing and so often missed. Even in my own life. Let's pray. Father, we just thank You. We thank You that You have given us more than we could ever deserve. You have served us in ways that we could never serve You. You have laid down Your life for us. You have forgiven us. You have chosen to run after us when we were dead in our trespasses and sins and enemies. You have done all of this, Lord. May we, in response, love Your people. Have Your heart for Your people. God, I just pray that in this church that there would be men and women who would guide their families to live a life of loving the church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.